Yes, hello, ladies and gentlemen, Titus O'Reilly here, and we have some exciting news for 2024. Mick and I are going to be performing two live sports bazaars at the Corner Hotel in Richmond, 20th and 27th of February. Uh, We're really looking forward to this. It's right near Mick's house, so we're guaranteed to be able to do it. We'd love you to come along. Tickets are available through Oztix. You can either go to Oztix and search Sports Bazaar or put the link in the show notes. And for those of you in other states, we are looking at doing that too. So don't feel left out. We're just starting here because, well, it's almost next door to Mick's house. So why wouldn't you? Sports Bazaar podcast live, the Corner Hotel, the 20th and the 27th of February. Hope to see you there. It's Sports Bazaar. This is where the trouble starts. It's like a party switch has flicked off. We're not here for a haircut. The hunt for the weirdest. You're blowing my mind. I can't keep it. You fact check this. There is no logic to any of what's going to happen. Strangers. Wow. This is outrageous. It's not for the ages. Things are just going to get sillier and sillier. No red flags there. Most unbelievable. Volatile. Erratic. Simple. And clinically insane. Stories to ever occur. There's a lot of our stories that start with someone being money lenders. This is not the perfect preparation. In the world of sport. This is the opposite of perfect preparation. <laughs> this is the worst. Sports Bazaar. Yeah, were you saying horse whipped as in he was actually horse whipped? Yeah, uh, he said there's only one thing for it. I ordered hair of the dog. <laughs> a rabble of vagrants, drunkards, ruffian brawlers and gambling desperado. So like the Sports Bazaar audience. <laughs> this <laughs> is the Sports Bazaar Summer Edition. Did I miss that meeting? Let's you miss a lot of meetings. <laughs> With Titus O'Reilly. Yes, welcome everyone. Titus O'Reilly here again. Again for Sports Bazaar and you might remember in our very first episode we talked about two New York Yankees pitchers who swap wives and families in a trade, even the dogs, which was the bit that upset their teammates. And I thought, <laughs> let's do a deep dive into what Yankees fans are really like and who better than uh, two great comedians and writers from America, Paul Nardese. Now, he's been around since 1990 as a stand-up and he's uh, made numerous appearances on Late Night with Conan O'Brien, which we get over here, Comedy Central, won the 2001 Boston Comedy Festival competition, uh, one of the most requested comedians over in America. And Dave Barron has written this book with him as well. Now, David, Dave said that he's worked with Jerry Seinfeld, Ray Romano and John Stewart open for them. And he said that you can, uh, if you put him in a lineup of one, they would recognize him, which I... I yes. appreciate it. He might. They might be able to recognize him. And he also launched College Basketball Times, which is an online publication you can go and check out, which uh, does all sorts of things. And I've read that you, being a lawyer, you're desperate for that to take off so you don't have to be a lawyer anymore. Yes. I have been an aspiring non-lawyer since the first day of law school. <laughs> it's an unenjoyable life. It always reminds me that Simpsons joke, if there's one thing we need, it's more lawyers. Uh, you know. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> now, you guys sat down written a whole bunch of books on a bunch of topics, but they're called Things That Might Annoy. The two we're focused on today is the New York Yankees fans and New York Jets fans. Paul, I might start with you. What, what began your... Uh, dislike for Yankees fans that kicked this all off? Uh, well, it was Dave's idea to, to write the book. So he, he, had, he had been in stand-up for a while, and I was still in stand-up. He reached out to me, and he said, I have this idea. You know, we live in New England. We've always hated the Yankees. We grew up as Red Sox fans. We were tortured because we never won. Why don't we write a book about how to annoy Yankee fans? 
I said, that sounds like a great idea. So we wrote that. And then one thing led to another. We wrote the Jets book, which um, we consider a curse because the Jets have never recovered. At least the Yankees win some games despite us publishing this book. <laughs> but the Jets are buried and they will continue to be buried. It's the greatest thing ever. They're on the doormat and they can't get up. <laughs> I read this morning that uh, Zach Wilson doesn't want to come back as starting quarterback. So when you got people who don't want to play quarterback <laughs> for them. We feel somehow responsible for Aaron Rodgers signing the contract and then lasting a total of two plays. I think this book had something to do with that. This team is just cursed. So for people that don't know, you make a great fun of the stereotypes. For people that maybe are in Australia or internationally listening and aren't, didn't grow up in America... How pervasive are the Yankees as the team everyone loves to hate? What's the stereotype of the Yankees and, and why are they in the position they're in? Well, when I was a kid, okay, I didn't know any Yankee fans. You wouldn't, if you were a Yankee fan, you would just probably get the crap kicked out of you. So I just grew up with Boston Red Sox fans. But I remember racing home to see the playoff game when they popped up to end it. Yeah. And you were tortured by it. And they spent all this money to buy all their players and our, our owner was cheap. So we could never overtake the Yankees. So I always hated the Yankee fans. When I met Dave and we wrote the books, I was no longer a Red Sox fan either because I realized I can't be a Red Sox fan. They're doing the same thing. They're just buying all his talent. Yeah. So I just became, I was still anti-Yankee, but I wasn't <laughs> any more pro-Red Sox. Now that I know Yankee fans, now that I'm older and out and about the world, like they're just, they're just still living in their glory because they won 27 World Series, most of which took place in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. Who cares? It's, it's all old news. The Jets never win and they'll never win again. And Dave, you grow up in around Yankees fans? I grew up in upstate New York, which we referred to as God's country. And then you got New York City, which really should just be given to New Jersey. Um, but everybody in the state of New York loves the Yankees. And for the most, it just, it's everywhere. And for whatever reason, I didn't jump on to that. I wanted to be unique. So I always hated the Yankees, and I was a Red Sox fan by default because if you hate the Yankees, you root for the Red Sox. But I was actually, I grew up rooting for, the team I rooted for was the Oakland A's, who are possibly more pathetic than the Jets. Um, <laughs> they had like a, a maximum sellout for their stadium this year of like 8,000 people. They are a sad, sad bunch. So the A's would be out of it by like July and then I'm rooting for the Red Sox every year. And I literally remember crying when Bucky Dent hit that home run. That was because <laughs> all my friends would be happy because they were all Yankee fans. They're horrible. Yeah. Like Paul said, they, they buy their championships. We have more than about a hundred jokes specifically on that topic in the book. And it just was never fair. It was never fair. And then it was for the longest time for that you had the Yankees were this cash cow buying things. They had all the Joe DiMaggio, Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle kind of mystique. And, and, and it's funny now they've got, you know, the closest they've had in recent in terms of winning World Series is A-Rod, which doesn't have quite the same ring. <laughs> it's, yeah. not, it's not quite as it's not quite as glamorous as yeah. as the others. Yeah, not even close. But then you have the Red Sox, as you say. Suddenly, I remember being in Guatemala of all places with a diehard Red Sox fan watching in a backpacker bar the Red Sox break their curse, which sort of changed a bit of that dynamic of the rivalry, didn't it, between the Yankees and the Red Sox? Suddenly, it's no longer the sort of the 
the Yankees are dominating and the Red Sox could sort of play that underdog card, they've, they've been probably a better run franchise for probably the last few decades. Oh, yeah. Is, has that changed for you guys, you know, the, the jokes of it and the, the stereotype of it? So if you remember this, when the book was coming out, the Yanks and Red Sox were like right next to each other. It was playing to be absolutely, it was going to come down, the Yanks and Red Sox were going to go up a head-to-head in the playoffs. We had it set that we were going to be selling the books right outside of Fenway. They had let us do it uh, a couple times throughout the season, which is a great way to reassess your life as a lawyer as you're standing there hawking books on the sidewalk. <laughs> all of a sudden, being a lawyer doesn't seem all that bad. But this was setting up perfectly with us. The, the stars were aligning. And then they fell apart on us. They just kept losing. And they didn't make the freaking playoffs. So we had the damn book set to go. And we were going to be at Fenway. We had all this stuff lined up in the restaurants all along Fenway. And the freaking Sox didn't make the playoffs. And we got this book. We're trying to get on radio stations in like Texas because Texas was playing the Yankees. Or Detroit was playing the Yankees. But the real rivalry is the Red Sox. We were right freaking there. And maybe we got cursed at that point. We were going to write an annoyed Red Sox fans book after that because we realized that they're just as obnoxious as the Yankee fans, especially after they started winning. But like they've, <laughs> like they've said, the enterprise kind of fell apart when they fell out of the playoff race. So. I mean, we often read over here and, you know, we'll get onto the Jets in a second, but who is the most obnoxious fan base in America, do you think? I mean, you often hear Philly thrown around as the worst fans, but... Who who do you think has the worst reputation? All right, we'll put the Yankees is in that group for sure. Yeah. I don't think Paul would agree with this assessment, but until a few years ago, maybe the Patriots fans. No, I agree. They kept freaking winning. They're winning more and more Super Bowls. That dynasty had to stop. All right, they won three. No, they won another one. They won, They just kept winning more. And then Brady leaves, he wins another one in Tampa Bay. It's like, and then the Patriots fans like count that as theirs too. (laughs) The Patriots fans have to be close. Maybe Rangers fans. Who else would you say in the U.S., Paul? I think Philly is the worst. Philly's the most dangerous city to travel to, to root for your team. Um, New York is probably second in terms of most dangerous. I mean, Philly's not as arrogant because they haven't won as much. Uh, I remember I went to a Red Sox game. The Yankees won, so they should be in a good mood. And we're coming out, and this guy's wearing a T-shirt, and these guys are just punching him in the head. And I kind of felt like I should probably stick up from him from Boston, but it was like eight on one, so I just helped the eight and just kept punching that guy in the head. (laughs) (laughs) I'd say those two are neck and neck. (laughs) New York and Philly. Do you find, Paul, when you do stand-up, Philly's a tough crowd in a similar way, or do you find comedy crowds are a bit different to the sport fans by city? I haven't done enough shows in Philly to really say. I mean, but the couple that I did were fine. I don't love New York crowds, to be honest. I think Boston is a much easier city. Yeah, They do their comedy differently. We do like an hour and a half show. So you come and you know when the show's going to end, whereas they, they're just open from 7 to midnight. And people go in at different windows. Maybe you want to see an hour or two hours. Yeah. So it depends when you come in there, but it's definitely more challenging late. It's more challenging on in some of the different clubs. I remember we were doing a big audition for this big thing out in Aspen, Colorado, and there was a slew of good comedians on. 
and everybody was eating it. And the place was packed. Like, you just don't see that in Boston. If the place is packed, you're either going to kill or you're going to do well and feel like, ah, I didn't quite get the role I wanted, but I got, I got my laughs. This was just a just a buffet line of people eating their dick on stage. <laughs> and then I had my turn, and I, I ate it too. Yeah. I thought, all right, I'll show these guys my materials. And I went up, and I ate it. Yeah. That's New York. <laughs> There's nothing worse than you and you, like I do a bit. I was like the sixth guest on a TV show once and everything had been going badly and I'm sitting backstage going, this is horrendous. And then when I walked out in a break to get my mic on and get ready to go, the host turns to me and goes, welcome to the killing fields where jokes go to die, (laughs) which, you know, just really set you off well. Getting to New York then with the New York Jets, so the Yankees are well known over here in Australia. You know, when we got cable, all they showed was Yankees games. It's sort of we we were late adopters in Australia to cable. So it was like ni- mid nineties when it sort of we started getting live baseball games. It was that long. Of course, that really coincided with the whole Jeter. I think Jeter's first season was when we were first getting some actual games over here, mm-hmm. and it being it was Fox Sports, so they just pumped Yankees games down our throats from day one. So, you know, a lot of people over here get the Yankees sort of thing and it's just got such a big name. But NFL has really taken off in Australia in the last sort of 10 years. But the Jets are not as well known as Yankees, mainly because they they don't win and they therefore are not often not shown <laughs> over here. <laughs> How would you explain the Jets to someone who's not seen NFL as a team? You know, are they ill-fated? What's their sort of uh, you know, reputation? They're the ugly stepchild of the New York Giants. Yeah. Who was it? Rex Ryan was the coach for a while. And they had a run, and they were starting to get decent. And they had won nothing. They, they hadn't even gone to the Super Bowl since Joe Namath way back. But they acted like they were a dynasty. And that was where the obnoxiousness came from. They were nothing. They were Zippo. And they acted like they were supreme. And they deserved to be crushed. And that's what Paul and I did in the book. <laughs> and So what's their sort of a stereotypical Jets fan? Paul, are they the true believer even though they suck? Or what's their sort of <laughs> reputation? Well, their most famous fan is this Fireman Ed guy who goes and wears a firefighter's helmet yeah which only they could come up with as like what does that have to do with football so that's to me is just the epitome (laughs) of pathetic not a fan who's some high school legend or a a famous actor toronto raptors have drake i mean he's not that has nothing to do with basketball but he's but this is a guy in a fire hat that's what the camera keeps panning to when the jets are playing (laughs) I mean, I don't have to, I need I say more. We, we actually got our book into Spencer Gifts. Yes. So they sent us the contract. They were going to put the Jets book on the shelf. Yeah. And we read the contract, and it was a terrible deal. They would keep most of the money, and we had to print X amount, let's just say 300 books for them to take. And they said, if we can't sell them, we're going to destroy them. <laughs> I expected the sentence to say, if we can't sell them, we will give them back to you, or you can come pick them up. They said, we're going to destroy them. And I said, can we watch? (laughs) That was like the best moment of doing the books 
when he said, like, can we watch? That was <laughs> that was better than like when we got the books in the Barnes and Nobles when we were like we were on TV. We, we got interviewed on my favorite moment of all of that is when Paul goes, can we watch? <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping they would give us three options, too. They were going to, you know, run over them with a truck or burn them. You know, we could pick which one, which one they were going to do. <laughs> Here we go. How are we going to really do this, guys? Yeah. <laughs> I love the just the finality of it too, and the uh, yeah. You know, I know you poured your heart and soul into these books, and you know we lo- we're going to put them on the shelves. But if they don't sell, they don't sell boy, are we going to punish you? <laughs> You're not getting them back. You can't buy them. You can't come get them. No. <laughs> Will you let us watch? <laughs> it, it sums up to me the kind of the having worked, I've written four books and you kind of, you know, it's exactly how the book industry works. You know, the respect for the author. Yeah. <laughs> uh, zero. How did Jets fans react to the book? I got to say with all of our books, what we didn't realize when we get, well, at least I didn't realize when we got going, we anticipated our market was going to solely be the people who really hate these teams. But the market was really for people who knew people mm. who liked the teams and they would give them the books. You're right. And people who liked the teams actually bought the books themselves. So I gained a tiny, tiny bit of respect for the Jets fans and the Yankees fans when they would buy the books. It was yeah. like I'm out there selling the freaking books in the middle of August and it's I'm sweating and I'm standing there. Paul's in some air-conditioned place doing an interview and I'm out there hawking the damn books and, you know, Yankee fan will come up and say, hey, you know, whatever, I'll take two of those. So I, it was hard to hate that person. Someone who's actually going to give us the cash, that, that was okay. But yeah. that's what I found. I, maybe Powell found something different. Yeah, what did you get, Paul? What was the response you got? I don't know many Yankee fans, but I do know some Jet fans, and they did. They read the book. They said they were on the beach laughing. They, they had a good sense of humor about it. I think, I think if you're a sports fan of a team – that's had a pretty lousy history like we had when the Red Sox before they won. I think you got to be able to laugh at it. And then they were pretty good sports about it. I always think like I'm in Melbourne and when we had COVID, we were locked down for like, you know, a year and a half kind of thing. We were one of the longest in the world. And so you can imagine it became pretty polarized politically here, you know, as it is in the States often, you know, and people would very much barrack for their political side of whether the lockdown was right or wrong and, yeah. you know, say, you know, our Premier, or, you know, sort of like the governor would, who was either the greatest guy that ever lived or the, or the devil, you know. And <laughs> But then people started to say, well, they barrack for their political party and they're like sports fans, you know. And I thought they're nothing like sports fans. You ask a, whoever a sports fan what's wrong with their their team, they will tell you, even if they're winning, even if you know, even if they're going towards the Super Bowl, they'll true. be the first. You'll say, oh, "I think you guys are good this year. You could do well," and they'll go, "You know, our cornerback sucks. Our, you know, <laughs> this guy's sleeping with you know someone he shouldn't be, and you know the coach has got no plan B." and it's kind of an interesting thing that I actually think sports fans are the polar opposite of sort of political fans. And, you know, I know you guys have written about, you know, things to annoy Republicans and Democrats. Yeah. Did you find a difference in the reaction? I mean, I, I find sports fans are pretty good at laughing at themselves because we kind of deep down, 
it's a weird mixture of we massively care about our team and also know it's kind of ridiculous. You know, we kind of know in the back of our heads that it's all a bit silly. Did you find a difference between the people? Or? I, I found some. I can tell you, like, when we were trying to hawk these on Twitter, which was only slightly less exhausting than hawking them on the streets of Boston, when people would find out that we wrote both, the Republicans and the Democrats, yeah, I thought they'd be impressed, and they were disappointed. <laughs> They wanted one side me to be like a whack job on one side or the other. Right. And they weren't getting it like that. What the books together were showing is like both sides are whack jobs. Yeah. But that was what I got. Like Paul had a great connection. He was able to get us our books into like this, this chain of gas stations. So our books were in gas. Well, we'll take it. Um, but the guy did not want the political books at all. He didn't offer to burn them at the end if you didn't. <laughs> yeah, he was going to work with Spencer to burn the gifts. <laughs> Dave, you're selling them on the street and gas stations. Are really we making did sell. Really we got, it was, they sold. They got, I can tell you this. It was a good day. And I got to give credit for Paul for this because I didn't think we were ready. And he reached out to Barnes & Noble. I had told him not to. And he's like, you're going to be pissed at me. And I reached out to Barnes & Noble. And they sent a wonderful letter saying that they were accepting the books. They wanted us to kiss their butts, but they made it seem like they said to us flat out, we never accept books unless they're coming from a major publisher. Yeah. And our publisher, like we were like, I don't know, I can't remember what we, we were our publisher. That's we, we created our own publishing company. Yeah. They took the books and that was a big deal. I mean, we weren't like John Grisham. We're not retiring on this, but we, we the books were were success. And evidence of the success, or at least how good the books are, are the the recommendations, the uh, the endorsements that we got. Yeah, were were really pretty stellar on on some of these. Like uh, the guy from the Dropkick Murphys um, endorsed it. Uh, former Red Sox players, the guy who hosts the Red Sox show um, on cable here. Those were nice. Those were touching. Those were, and we had some comedians endorse the books too. That makes you feel good. Oh, and I think the thing about having a book, you know, like so much of what you do is sort of, if you're doing stand up or you're doing, you know, I do stand up books and funny columns about Australian rules football, a bit like yours with your college basketball. They're all a bit fleeting sometimes. Like to hold a book and actually have a book, I often think is the one thing like, my great grandkids, it might be the only thing they, I, mean, I might give them a weird view of who I was. <laughs> <laughs> but there is a permanency to it that, you know, that kind of, and to do as many as you've done is, is fantastic because it is hard. And I think it speaks more not of the books, but of the book industry that, you know, I think even the big ones they offer to burn, destroy them at the end. I think I remember I had a clause in my contract that I could buy the books back or they would be destroyed as well. Yeah. You know, I think. That just more shows you how the book industry works. We found creative ways. Like the airports in the U.S., you got to get your books in those airports. But there's Mm. really like two companies that run it, Hudson News and somebody else. And so we're trying to work. So we we couldn't get through to them, to the decision makers. So we said, screw it. We called the actual individual managers of each one of the places. Yeah. And they were taking them. And so we'd send it to them. And you had to be creative with how we sold them. We sold enough. 
we we made a decent amount of money again i'm not retiring on it i'm not putting my kids through college with it but it was a good experience and at no point did paul and i actually succeed in killing each other so that was (laughs) he had reason to as well i just want to tell your listeners in case they don't know because barnes and nobles is a large bookseller in, in america I just don't want them to think that that's also a gas station. (laughs) (laughs) Books are available on Amazon, by the way. They are. I was just going to say that. So they're the things that might annoy series. Jets and Yankees are fantastic. If you know a Jets or Yankees fan, you want to uh, get something for It's fantastic. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. I know it's later at night over there and... uh, it's been a lot of fun talking to you both and um, I wish you all the best of success and uh, long may your curse of the Jets remain. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, if you want more Sports Bazaar, as always, Bazaar Plus, our membership program is available. The link is in the show notes. You can join up. You get access to all the bonus episodes we've ever done. You get an extra one every week of those. We have a newsletter every fortnight. We have a chat room. You get access to live tickets, and we are working on a Sports Bazaar live show. Before everyone else, you'll get tickets. So if you are interested, join Sports Bazaar. Otherwise, we will see you next week.